Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Now onto the show. Hi, it's Anna. Ever since I was a child, I wanted to study the power that food can have on our health. When I started practicing as a nutritional therapist a decade ago, I realized that what is just as important is the relationship that we have with food. This is very often a mirror for the relationship we have with ourselves. Through my own personal journey and health challenges, I was forced to dig deeper and understand things that go beyond just our physical bodies. I learned the importance of working with the whole person to create a balanced body, mind, heart, and soul. I'm now passionate about using my diverse toolbox to help women slow down, take better care of themselves, and ultimately cultivate a life which is a reflection of self-love. If you feel like this is speaking to you, I created a 43-page guide nine steps to love, nourish, and connect with your body to create an energized life with a happy heart and soul. You can download it for free and join my Grounded Goddess community for even more inspiration by visiting groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps, S-T-E-P-S. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the community. So basically what we're going to be talking about today actually is a big caveat to the whole concept of chilling out. And what we want to chat about today is sleep. So your sleep habits, the things that you do to help get your body ready for sleep, why we need sleep in the body, and some things that you can do to support yourself if you have trouble sleeping like me. I have always had um, quite a struggle with falling asleep, which has been an interesting thing to manage over the years. Um, And I've obviously got some tools and some things that do work sometimes for me um, they don't work always but we are going to share what we know about it today so Anna would you want to take it away with the science hit people with oh, the science no, well, first. No, everybody <laughs> will just like switch off the podcast if you <laughs> the boring stuff but um so I guess it's it's no secret that sleep is really important for health and we've all irrespective of like the science and the biochemistry and all of that stuff we all know that when we haven't had enough sleep we start, things start to fall apart. I do think that some people have got a better sort of resilience or a better tolerance of not sleeping well or not sleeping enough. I am not one of those people. I really need to have a good, like solid eight or nine hours of sleep under my belt. Most nights, like I can cope with less, but I can't cope with less for a long time. I just then start to lose my ability to function really as a normal person and I lose my ability to maintain my lovely sweet disposition and become quite a horrible person. So So, um, sleep is super important for me, but probably unlike you, Shay, is that I don't really have problems sleeping. 
I actually generally do sleep quite well unless I'm going through periods of stress. Yeah, most of my sleep stuff is I've created such good routines around sleep and prioritizing my sleep that generally for me, that's something that always works quite well. That is a very good position to be in, I will say, because I think the most challenging thing about not being able to sleep is not necessarily the not being able to sleep, but it's about the worrying about not being able to sleep, which I think then can lead you on to a whole host of other, you know, additional worries. And then it just triggers into the cycle of stress when actually you should be um, heading towards a cycle of relaxation when you're trying to get to bed. So yeah, if you want to maybe just tell us a little bit about why we need sleep in the body. Oh, that's got to be on the spot. Uh, (laughs) One of the things that you've probably heard me talk about on the show many times is this idea of the balance between our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight system, and our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of our nervous system which we need for rest and recovery and recuperation. And it's not that one system is bad or the other is good. It's really about the balance between those two systems if we're thinking that there's 24 hours in a day, a good balance is kind of spending maybe about 12 hours in each. And so if we are sleeping at night, that's a huge chunk of that parasympathetic time. If you're getting eight hours of sleep, that's eight hours of sleep. You are definitely in your parasympathetic system. Whereas if you're not getting as much sleep, what many people tend to do because of their lifestyle choices is they're very much switched on for all the time that they're awake. And then the only time they're ever actually in that parasympathetic system is when they're asleep at night. So cutting back on your sleeping hours is cutting back on that definite recovery, rest and restoration time, which the body really needs to keep everything in check. So our immune system is most active at nighttime. I kind of think of it like, um, you know, you've got these big office buildings and the cleaners come in at nighttime and they do the cleaning and then everybody comes in for work the next day and everything is clean. And that's kind of the same thing that's happening in our bodies is we're, we're going to sleep at night and while we're resting, the energy that's available because we're not doing anything else is unavailable for the immune system to do its, its daily maintenance and steady cleanup job to keep us well, to keep us healthy. And so when we're not having enough sleep, we're not giving our body that opportunity to do its general maintenance check, to do its general little cleanup. And then things are going to start to get a little bit grubby as time goes on. And then increasing levels of grubbiness are what we then start to experience as poor health. And that manifests in different ways for different people, you know, whether that's digestive issues or hormonal imbalances or complex diseases or anything that we would link maybe to inflammation. So I love that what you said about sleep being our opportunity for the body to not go into states of sickness or inflammation, but also what I've been reading and the research that I've been doing while I've been doing my marathon training is that we also need sleep in order for the body to get stronger. So something that was that came up in the Born to Run book, which I've just finished, and it's like so emotional. I've been had a few moments of tears as I've been reading this book. But what they say is that you know you go for a run or you have a um, heavy gym session or whatever, and you are placing stress on your muscles. But it's not during the run or during that workout that the body is getting stronger. It's during those moments of rest where the body then establishes what stresses and what muscles have been 
been torn or whatever it is that have been activated and stressed that then the body thinks, okay, well now I need to adapt. And during those times of rest is when it rebuilds the muscles stronger in those places to help support that breakdown in the muscles that you've caused through exercise. So it's just also about that adaptability of the body, which is so important. And I think it goes again to what you said earlier about, you know, for me, I don't sleep as much, but my adaptability to less sleep has just been, okay, well, this is how my body needs to adapt to this amount of sleep that I'm getting, because that's what is true for me at the moment. So yeah, such a powerful thing, sleep in general, for both restoring the body and repairing the body and preventing it from getting sick, but also helping the body to get stronger. Definitely. And yeah, especially for people who are very active and athletes, like sleep is your best friend if, if you want to be working on things from a performance perspective. But I actually just wanted to touch on, because we talked about this idea of not getting enough sleep and how that influences health, but it can also be a bit of a vicious cycle is because once we start to develop low-grade inflammation or low-grade inflammatory symptoms in the body, that can also be something that impacts our ability to sleep through disrupting the body's other biochemical processes. So it's kind of a little bit of this like catch-22 or chicken and an egg scenario where we're we haven't been sleeping, so now we've become unwell. And because we're unwell, we're struggling to sleep and we're struggling to have this healthy rhythm, whether that is being able to fall asleep at night or being able to stay asleep at night. And this is what makes it very difficult then to get well again, because we're not necessarily getting that restoration time. And one of the things that I remember from when I did my psychoneuroimmunology diploma is they said, if you're working with anyone, the very first thing you have to do for them is help them to reestablish their bio rhythm, which means that you want to be sleeping at night and waking in the morning and having what we've spoken about before on previous podcasts, which is your cortisol awakening response, the, the peak in the hormone cortisol that happens an hour after waking. And if someone isn't having those things like um, that cortisol awakening response, but then able to sleep at night, that's the very, very first thing you want to address in terms of helping them manage their health, which I think is really interesting. Mm. So that rhythm that you speak about, is that individualized to each person? So the time that you wake up will be different person to person, or is it a general thing according to the sun or according to nature or whatever it is? So we've, we've spoken about this before, I think, and we've talked about you being the night owl and myself being the lark. So I think this is where the challenge comes in for a lot of people is because we're not all the same, but society is generally expecting us to be the same in terms of how systems are set up. Like most people start work, you know, sometimes often between eight and nine in the morning. Most people would be expected to finish work at a certain time and you're expected to sort of be asleep by a certain time, which doesn't necessarily suit someone like yourself who you don't want to wake up and go to work at 8 a.m. You prefer to go to work at 11 a.m. and then you know be going to sleep at three o'clock in the evening. So the challenge there is sometimes we struggle with sleep because we're trying to fit our biorhythm into something which isn't necessarily what is for us. And there's a genetic component to this, which is that when we wake and the morning light hits our eyes, that is something which programs our biorhythm. But some people genetically filter that light differently. So you're not, you need a, a much, much brighter amount of light, the amount of light that you should experience at 11 a.m. versus 8 a.m. to influence your body's systems in the same way. 
Mm. That is so interesting. As I was doing some research for this sleep podcast, I came across a website called sleepcycle.com. And some of the things that they uh, mentioned were they got a whole lot of different apps, um, sorry, a whole lot of different stats that they have about different countries around the world who have um, good quality of sleep, worse quality of sleep, early to bed, early to rise. And I think some of the stats for people going or the early risers, South Africa was actually for this week, South Africa was the earliest risers waking up on average at uh, nine minutes past six in the morning. And then, wow, then, yeah, and then Colombia at 20, my mother is single-handedly helping that score get low. She wakes up at four o'clock every morning to go <laughs> to the gym. But <laughs> then Colombia, six, 22 minutes past six, and then Costa Rica was the third one. But if you think about it, all of those countries are generally hot countries. So the sun is up early. So you've got that higher dose of that bright light, which I think naturally wakes people up earlier. When I was in India um, doing my second yoga teacher training, like the sun was up early. So it was hot, it was warm. And I naturally just ended up waking up much earlier. Whereas here, it's a lot more of a struggle because especially in winter where it's dark and I don't have that, you know, I'm like a little mouse that wants to hibernate. But what was interesting is on the sleepcycle.com website, the early to bed was also South Africa first with um, 10 to 11 was their early to bed average. Um, then New Zealand and then Australia. But it's just got a whole lot of interesting information about countries around the world who have the best quality, the worst quality, and you can um, use their apps to help track your cycle of sleep and then wake yourself up in your light periods of sleep, which I think might be quite useful. But then on the flip side to that, it requires you to have your phone in your bedroom, which is, I think, what we'll chat about when we talk a little bit more about sleep hygiene and um, <laughs> good routines. Yeah, good routines for getting into bed, because I think we can both agree that having a phone near your bed is counterproductive to trying to sleep, although it's very habitual, I think, for most of us. So it's a thing that we have to manage. Like if I think about South Africa as well, we don't get the long late evenings, even in summer, like you get here in the UK. And I think that probably also contributes a little bit to the early to bed is that it just gets darker earlier and then... And load shedding. <laughs> yeah, and, and load shedding. Sometimes you have no water and no electricity and then it's not safe to leave your home. <laughs> the street lights aren't working. <laughs> So you might as well just go to bed. Yeah, exactly. That's probably it, actually. <laughs> oh, gosh. So I just quickly wanted to share something from um, traditional Chinese medicine. They have this, um, it's, it's like a clock of the day, which is associated with different organs within the body. And so I don't know how much you know, solid truth there is in this, but it's just interesting to explore if anybody is having any difficulty sleeping or falling asleep or waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to sleep. Because depending on what times you're maybe waking or what times you're struggling with your sleep, it could be related to an organ system which maybe needs a little bit of help and support. So According to traditional Chinese medicine, if you are struggling with sleep between 9 and 11 p.m., and I think of you, Shay, with this because it's maybe like struggling to get to sleep between this time, it could be thyroid and adrenal. And that kind of makes sense because you're out teaching yoga at night. You maybe only come home sometimes at nine o'clock and then you're all pumped up and wired from sharing your yoga love. And, um, you know, that would potentially have an impact on the adrenal glands. Then the gallbladder is associated with problems between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. 
The liver is 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. So that might be more so for someone who's maybe waking up in the middle of the night. Um, maybe there's something going on with the liver. It needs a little bit more support. And then 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. is the lungs. That is so interesting because last weekend, Warren and I, we decided to order pizza and we had some wine. And as I was going to bed, I like I know that when I have like two or three glasses of wine, it's very easy for me to fall asleep, but the quality of sleep that I have is very, very poor. So last weekend, I woke up in the middle of the night after having had some wine with Warren and I woke up between the hours of one and three, which is exactly related to the liver, which is obviously what is trying to process as my body is trying to deal with this wine that I've had. So that's super, super interesting to me and something that I will definitely refer back to as I'm in my waking hours of insomnia. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what I, I've got some tips here that actually Warren sent this article to me a couple of months ago that was from an army base or some army tips for people in the army or people dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder to help them fall asleep. And it involved a series of relaxations. So as you get into bed, or maybe well, maybe we should talk about sleep hygiene before we actually do the getting into bed. I don't know. Do you you started now. I've started now. I want to roll. Okay. So if you, once you're into bed and we'll, we'll circle back and talk about the stages and the pre getting into bed before, once I finished explaining this, but you get into bed and you have the series of relaxation. So that's your first step. And you start with your face, then you relax your teeth, your jaw, everything in your face. Then you go into your upper body, your arms, your upper arms, your chest, your belly. Then you move down into the lower body, which is very similar to how a yoga nidra practice works. It's consciously relaxing or switching off parts of your body. When I teach relaxation to kids, I sometimes give them the image of a robot. So they'll be lying down and and they're lying down on the mat and their body is like a robot with lots of flashing lights and lots of spiraling things going on and switches flicking on and off and everything's very busy with light bulbs and flashes and music. And then we go through the body and we switch off, like you imagine a robot and we're switching off all these parts of the body, the lights go off. And that's quite a useful tool for people just to have that feeling of like switching off parts of your body. So once you've done your relaxation, relaxing top to tail, um, then you can come into one of these three visualizations. So the first visualization was to imagine yourself lying in a canoe on the middle of a lake and you're looking up at a very clear blue sky. So you have that gentle rocking sensation, you're in a canoe, you're looking up at the blue sky and you keep that visualization for as long as you can. The second visualization was to imagine that you are in a black velvet hammock and it's in a pitch black room and that's the kind of feeling that you have. And then the third one was, I suppose, less of a visualization or more of a mantra or something to repeat is that you say to yourself in your head, don't think, don't think, don't think, don't think over and over again and see if you can keep with that visualization. The other one also that has been quite useful is to imagine that you are staring at a gray wall. And Warren always tells me if I haven't slept at night, he's like, did you, did you think of the gray wall? I was like, yes, <laughs> I thought about the gray wall. <laughs> So I don't know if that if that's useful to some people as a little bit of a toolbox to put into your tool bag when you get into bed and you suddenly, oh, I can't sleep. And you, you have that initial panic of I'm not being able to sleep. And at least you can rotate through some of these different activities, which 
even if they don't help you fall asleep, they can take your mind off that worry of falling to sleep, which I think is what is very counterproductive to the sleep process in general. Each week, we get incredible feedback about our episodes of Kombucha and Color. We know our show is touching, inspiring, and helping hundreds of women, and we would like to reach even more. Can you help? You can help other women find the inspiration that you have found if you head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you screenshot your review and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna, Shay, or Kombucha and Color, we'll send you a wonderful restful yoga nidra practice to download so you can find some peace and calm in your day or a better night's sleep at night. Additionally, everyone who enters and leaves a review and shares it on Instagram will be put into a lucky prize draw to win a copy of my Beat the Bloat guide and Shay's yoga guide. You can love your body from the inside out with 174 pages, including over a hundred pages of recipes, which walk you through my 28 day digestive reset process. This is perfect if you want to reset your body, address any unwanted health symptoms, or support your skin, hormones, energy, and digestion. Shay's 173-page yoga guide includes 116 pages of detailed pose analysis. It will give you all the tools you need to teach yourself yoga so you can sequence, practice, and flow safely in your very own home. Remember, all you need to do is go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, screenshot the review, and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna underscore Marsh underscore Nutrition, Shay at Indie Yoga Life, or Kombucha and Color, Kombucha underscore and underscore Color. Head on over and do that right now before you forget, and then your yoga nidra practice will be on its way. You mentioned yoga nidra, and and that's also why yoga nidra can be so helpful for sleep. I think it's sometimes when I've been very wired and I've needed to turn my mind off so that I can fall asleep, I often will just go to bed and listen to a yoga nidra just so that I can start to calm my mind down a little bit and it can be so effective. And yoga nidra is also great for people who maybe aren't getting very good sleep generally, maybe mums who are up in the night with kids and doing whatnot. Just taking those little moments to relax and restore during the day can just help to offset, I guess, some of the insults to health that may happen if you're if you're not necessarily getting a solid night's sleep. Mm. Or at least you, you're giving yourself an opportunity to be in that parasympathetic system without having to be in your sleep cycle. So then you're, again, giving yourself maybe 40 minutes or 20 minutes of being in that system. It would be helpful for us to go into a little bit about sleep routine. But before we do that, I just kind of wanted to finish off on the sciencey stuff so we can wrap that up and people know it's not coming back. Um, <laughs> um, one of the things that was is interesting to me is that maybe people are already aware that the sleep hormone is melatonin and we make melatonin from serotonin, which is our happy hormone. So we do kind of want to be supporting the body too with the the proteins that it needs, the amino acids that it needs to make these neurotransmitters. But one of the things that can happen is if there's a lot of inflammation in the body, the inflammation can almost create a favorable, I guess, segue to another pathway, which means that we're 
creating more inflammation in the body and we're not necessarily creating enough of the neurotransmitters that we need to support good sleep. And so we've talked in the past about inflammation, so I won't go into detail about everything you can do to help there, but we've often said, you know, everything starts in the gut. And one of the things that a lot of my clients often report to me when they start doing a gut reset protocol is that their sleep improves. And I've had some clients who said, you know, they really used to struggle with their sleep to the point that it was almost just normal for them not to sleep well. That was just how they were and they kind of accepted it. And then by reducing inflammation through working on their digestive health, they've started sleeping through the night and, and just feeling amazing. So, you know, sometimes we don't always think about like, how does our digestion, how is that affecting how we're sleeping? But everything is so related. And, you know, when we're, when we're eating well and looking after our body, you know, all the systems of the body start to work more optimally. But in terms of actually making these um, neurotransmitters and the hormones that we need for optimal sleep, there's a few nutrients and foods which can be really helpful. So magnesium is something that um, I actually take every single evening. I take 800 milligrams of magnesium glycinate every evening before bed. And that helps with many different pathways in the body, but it can help with manufacturing and the pathways that support these neurotransmitters and hormones. And many of my clients will say that they feel much better when they take magnesium. And even if they're not getting enough sleep, because maybe they're a mom and they're up with kids or there's other things going on, when they are asleep, the quality of their sleep is so much better that it helps them to get more recovery from what they do have. A lot of the B vitamins are involved. So sometimes supplementing with B vitamins can be helpful as well to support with sleep. And then there's an amino acid, which is um, tryptophan. So amino acids are the building blocks for our proteins. And tryptophan specifically is what is then used to make melatonin and serotonin and so on. And so your tryptophan rich foods are actually just finding them on my list are things like turkey so turkey or chicken eggs cottage cheese milk red meat there's some tryptophan in soybeans tofu nuts especially almonds and there is this old wives tale that you should have a glass of milk before sleep before you go to bed and that can be to actually there is a little bit of science behind it because the glass of milk is very tryptophan rich and that can help you with what you need those building blocks for those sleep hormones so yeah i thought that was just worth mentioning before we segue into our sleep hygiene yeah interesting i love that you mentioned that magnesium that you take before bed because i think that is also part of that routine and that ritual that can get you going to sleep and um, one of the most common things that i came up or came across in my research and it's actually something recommended by the nhs is to as much as you can have regular sleep times so that was the first thing that came up on many different sites to try and regulate your sleep time, which can get you into that routine. So your body knows, okay, this time I'm going to bed, this time I'm, I'm waking up. And obviously it's not necessarily always easy for everybody to follow a sleep routine. For me, some nights I teach yoga and I finish really late. So to try and get into bed at the same time every night would then shuffle around depending on when I finish teaching. So again, it can be mothers who are up with kids or people who have night shifts or who work different shifts that allow, you know, your days are not necessarily very, very regular. That can be quite a challenging thing. But I think if you have the same routine each night, it can help trick the body into um, knowing like, okay, this is now a part of my evening um, shutdown routine or winding down practice. 
Yeah, so I have a regular bedtime mostly, but the the challenge that I've experienced is ever since I was a child, I was really good about taking myself to bed. My mom just loved me for that, I think. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to bed now, good night. So yeah, I was always very good at going to bed early and I generally do go to sleep at like nine o'clock. But the challenge now is I've also started teaching yoga one evening a week. And by the time I get home, it's like quarter to nine, nine o'clock. And I haven't eaten dinner. I haven't done any of these things. And being an owl, a lot of people are like, oh, well, if you go to bed later, just sleep in an hour later. It's like, that isn't an option if you're an owl. Like if you're an owl, you just wake up early. A lark. Sorry, if you're a lark, you wake up early regardless of what time you go to bed. So if I need to catch up on sleep, I have to go to bed earlier. It's not a question of sleeping later. And so now I'm with this yoga teaching, I'm doing this like whole little practice to to kind of get my whole body to shut down like within the hour. So I think we've spoken about this before, but one of the things I've been doing, which I've talked about previously is I do the cold shower because that's something which is supposed to help calm down your nervous system. So it's getting my nervous system to switch off after being in class and teaching. I do supplement with melatonin which isn't actually available here in the UK, but whenever I go to the US, I buy some melatonin. And so I just have that at home and I take some melatonin. Um, Why is it not available here? Sorry. um, I think it's one of those things that isn't approved as a supplement. It might be available through prescription um, through a doctor, but I'm not sure. So this is not medical advice. This is something that I do. Um, at my own risk. (laughs) uh, Risky business, Anna. (laughs) Um, So yeah, melatonin, cold shower. I just have something light to eat. And I find what's really helpful is just to not do anything else. So like I don't check my phone. I just go straight to bed. I'll read a book. I just do as much as I can just to get my whole system to calm down as quickly as possible. And it's probably a bit easier for me because my preference is to sleep earlier, but I can imagine for you, because your preference isn't actually to sleep earlier, it must be much more challenging. Mm, it definitely is. And it's hard when you've got a partner who is on a different sort of cycle to you, because for me, Warren is, and well, for, because of his job, he's awake early, he's up early. So we try most, well, most nights we do go to bed at the same time. And um, even if I'm teaching late, he will be in bed, but I know he's waiting up to wait for me to get into bed. Like he will never fall asleep before I'm, I'm actually home. So yeah, it's quite a, an interesting thing to start managing. And especially if your if your schedule is a little bit more erratic or doesn't necessarily fit your body patterning. But having that wind down practice is also really useful. And something that came up was to write a to-do list for your next day. Because often what can happen is that you get into bed, or for me at least, you get into bed and suddenly your mind is just whirring with a thousand things like you could do this and you must do this and you must do this. And just having that, I think, ability to clear that and put it down on a piece of paper somewhere that's outside of your head is quite a useful practice to do. And then again, going through that relaxation technique once you are actually in bed. Um, Often I'll find out I'm in bed and I'll realize that I'm actually running through a yoga practice or doing yoga in my head and my whole body is activated. And I'm like, oh, I'm actually in a handstand lying in my bed with my (laughs) feet contracted. And I'm like, I really don't need to be handstanding now in my head in bed. (laughs) And then I have to like go through this process of like relaxing everything. Get into Shavasana. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Come out of your handstand into Shavasana. 
Um, but another useful thing was to keep the bedroom as a place where it is either just sleep or sex or masturbation. And that is a um, recommendation from the NHS, which is totally useful and it makes so much sense. Um, we shouldn't be using our bedroom for anything other than rest and restoring. And if I think of, you know, in the modern age, there's so many rooms or bedrooms who have TVs in. And Warren said to me, wouldn't it be great if we had a TV in our room? And I was like, I'd actually hate that. I'd actually ben hate said that. that to me as well. And I was like, no way. <laughs> no way <laughs> you're not do doing that. that. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like, we know that the blue light from computer screens and from phones has a direct impact on our ability to sleep. So by introducing that into your bedroom and suddenly you've got this blue light that is in the place that is for intended for sleep, suddenly your body's got these incongruent messages of, okay, I'm lying here ready to rest and relax, but I've got the TV on, which is like my sympathetic and everything's in high alert because I'm watching the show. What must I do? The body's like totally confused. So if you can create a space in your home or in your bedroom, at least that is, you know, you can light candles or it must be a clean environment if you can, and just make it like a little sanctuary where you can rest and restore your body. You can also um, get some blue light um, filters that you can get like an app that you can put on your phone. You can get an app that you can put on your laptop, but you can't get one on your TV as far as I'm aware. So if you are going to be up at night, even I would say watching some TV after dark in the living room before you go to bed, you can get some blue light blocking glasses. And Shay actually sent me a pair of blue light blocking glasses a while ago. I haven't used them in a bit, but if it is something that you are struggling with getting to sleep at night and there are some essential activities that you can't change, maybe thinking about having some way to filter that blue light is also Mm -hmm. a recommendation. I'm trying to think of what the, we'll put the link to this company where they do the blue light glasses, but Warren actually ordered a pair for me and the two came. I can't remember why, but there was two that came and I was like, oh, well, Anna, I'll send one over to you. So They are effective. I mean, your screen, I don't know if it's actually psychosomatic, but, you know, it does give it like a little bit of an orangey tint to the screen, which is quite cool. Yeah, I I definitely think that's a good idea to help prepare your body for for sleep. So something else, because I touched on the cold showers, is also just to make sure that your bedroom is cool. It is a cool environment. So I think I initially heard this on maybe Rob Wolf's podcast, The Paleo Solution, years ago. But he was saying that when we sleep at night, we want to be slightly cool. And if you want to have a nap during the day, you should be warm. And I would say that's definitely been my experience, is sometimes if I'm going to have a nap on the weekend or something and it's cold outside, I make a hot water bottle and I just like curl up with my hot water bottle and it feels so nice and cozy. But if I take a hot water bottle to bed with me at nighttime, I just get like so hot and then my sleep is all over the place. And and, and I really just, I like to have like a window open even in winter at nighttime. That's interesting. Does it, did you remember why at all there was that connection between having coolness at night? Because for me, when I get into bed, it must be warm, like electric blanket, duvet, nice and toasty. Yeah, but your, your nighttime is like middle of the day for other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, but maybe it's affecting it. Yeah, I just think you're weird and obscure. <laughs> but I, I don't remember the science behind it, but it does make sense in the sense that um, if we think of like traditionally, like if we were living in caves, it would be warm in the day and cold at night. So 
we would have had a, a higher capacity to draw on our own body heat to keep us warm at nighttime or heat from other contacts, skin on skin contact with other people or whatever. Um, we wouldn't have had walls and central heating and electric blankets and all of that stuff. So our conditioning is maybe to sleep a little bit cooler. Um, one of the other things was to keep a sleep diary. So maybe just noting for your own self, because I think everybody is different and they'll have different things that work for different people. Some of the supplements that I've taken in the past that have worked for me is valerian root, which, which was recommended to me by someone on Instagram. And that definitely does help put you to sleep. I have also taken CBD oil, which is unlike valerian root, it doesn't actually help put you to sleep, but it does calm you. And that's what I feel like, even though I'm awake, I'm not really stressed or worried about the fact that I'm awake. So there's a slight difference in those two supplements. And for me, I don't want to become too reliant on something that actually puts you to sleep. Rather, I just like to give myself as much opportunity to have natural sleep as much as I can. So if you keep a sleep diary and you note, okay, today I went to bed at this time and I took valerian root and this was the quality of my sleep. Or today I went to bed at this time, I had this glass of wine and I woke up at three o'clock or whatever it is. If you start building up that mental picture or you know have it in a, in a schedule that you can see, cause and effect and how the sleep quality was and you can get a little bit of qualitative research for yourself in terms of what works for you and what doesn't in terms of regulating your sleep patterns. That can also be a dangerous game if you're collecting too much data and then just getting really anxious about your data. But initially, I think just to see like what's having a positive impact, what's affecting what can be really, really helpful. And sometimes to go on that point of too much information, sometimes I also wonder if all the information that we have about the ability to track sleep, you know, we've got all these apps and you can, you can watch your sleep and you might wake up in the morning and feel actually fine and feel full of energy because your body's able to adapt and, you know, get on with things as your body will. But then maybe you open your app and you see, oh my gosh, I've only had three hours of sleep. Suddenly in your brain, you're like, oh, I'm really tired. I can't do the things. So yeah, it's also that, that, that key point of knowing when to step back from all the data and all the information. But yeah, if you can keep it in a, in a place that's objective, I think. Yeah, exactly. The other thing I sometimes advise with my clients is looking at your exercise routine. So for me personally, if I'm exercising in the evening, I will really struggle to fall asleep at night. And I much prefer to have my exercise either in the morning, that's my preference, but sometimes I'll exercise at lunchtime, that's okay. Late afternoon is okay. But usually if it gets off to five o'clock, then and that can really have an impact on my sleep. So if you are struggling with sleep, it's thinking maybe about your exercise routines. Could that be something which is impacting? The other thing is that carbohydrates because it raises insulin, it helps to suppress cortisol. And cortisol is one of our, it's our stress hormone, which should ideally be at its lowest as we're coming, you know, towards sleep. So sometimes um, low carb diets can have a negative impact on sleep and exercising maybe in the evening and then not refueling with adequate carbohydrate can also have an impact on sleep. So these are, again, just little things you can start to be aware of, start to play around with so that you can find that optimal balance that works for you and you can add it to that sleep diary that you're creating. I think that is a lot of very useful information for people to take away with them. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? 
um, just from personal experience, I'd say what's, what's really helpful for me is to just give myself time in the evening to unwind. And I know we've not, we've talked about, oh, well, you shouldn't watch the TV because of the blue lights. But personally, I don't find that so much of an issue for me if I'm just relaxing and watching something that I enjoy. And so I think a lot of people, especially if you're not fortunate like me to work from home, sometimes people come home from work and they need to catch up on all their personal home admin. And especially if you have kids and you're putting the kids to bed, there can be this tendency then you want to get all your personal stuff done once the kids have gone to bed and it's just busy, 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 and there's no unwind time in the evening. So to optimize sleep, I really feel that I need at least an hour, preferably two or three hours, which I can just unwind. And the more stressed I have been, the more time I need. So if I've had a very, very stressful day where I've been on the go all day, then I need more time in the evening to allow my brain to switch off. So I often find with clients that they are spending a lot of time on their phones, doing unnecessary things like, you know, social media. And so it's just maybe even being really honest with yourself. If you do need a little bit more discipline around some of these habits and more structured time doing things that will help to bring you into a relaxation state. So everybody who's listening, I hope you have a great Easter Monday if you celebrate it or if you've got the day off and I hope you have a really good night's sleep tonight. (laughs) Enjoy. (laughs) We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week. Hi, it's Shay here. Take a moment right now to reflect on how you measure a successful day for yourself. For a long time, I measured the success of my day based on the number of Instagram likes or followers I gained, the money I made, or the amount of love or praise I received. Whilst these are wonderful things to desire, using them as a metric of success left me feeling really depleted. It was only after some honest soul searching that I've truly shifted my metrics so that now I define my success on whether I'm able to answer yes to the following three questions. Have I moved my body today? Have I breathed or sat in stillness today? Have I created something today? Move, breathe, create. When I focus on these as measures of a successful day, I am able to really slow down get out of the busyness of my head, back into my body, and manifest things from a really authentic place. What's even crazier is that when I focus on these three things, all the other shiny pennies, the money, the praise, the followers, the likes, they all flow into my life with such ease as a result of me being in an energized, calm, creative, and aligned state. It's completely changed my outlook on life, and it's made me a much happier person. I really want to share all my tools with you so that you too can manifest the things you want in your life from this energized, 
calm, creative, and aligned state, and feel really happy whilst doing it. Come and join me at movebreathecreate.com, where you will find ways to energize your body and calm your mind, along with creative tutorials and techniques to get you into that creative, manifesting state. Most Yoga Studio monthly memberships cost upwards of £100 a month, and you can join me over at movebreathecreate.com, where you can find not only yoga practices and tutorials, but also workbook downloads, community, meditations, soul work, journal ideas, creative prompts, and inspiration, all for less than £10 a month. It's like your own personal yoga retreat space. Come connect back to your body, mind, and soul with me at movebreathecreate.com. I look forward to seeing you inside of the community.